Party ponies. Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. Uh, and I'm Jane. Hi, every pony. Hello, every pony. Uh, how are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm, I'm doing okay. I handed in a poetry exam, which means I don't have to do a poetry exam now. So I'm feeling good. How are you? Absolutely. I'm, I'm good. I've got a tall cup of water. It's actually a bottle. I don't know why I said cup. And I'm ready to ready to get into this book. Yeah. You got any drinks or snacks? I do. I've I've got a big tall glass of water with ice in it. You're like the only person I know who will drink water. <laughs> it's it's kind of terrifying. It's a recent development. I've been trying to lose weight, so. I I like years ago. I just like stopped drinking soda for a little bit, and. Then, like, I tried to drink it again, and I was like, this is disgusting. (laughs) I simply can't do it. But speaking of falling off things and then getting back on them, we started the Titan's Curse. We did indeed start the Curse of the Titty. The the Titty's Curse. Uh, First impressions... Actually, we can do that after the summaries, I guess, but... (laughs) I mean, we could we could do like broad first impressions and then the summary. Sure. To our specifics. Okay, let's do like a a five let's like a one sentence summary. All right. Would you like to go? Or I've got one ready. You go. I fear for the premise of our podcast. Uh, mine is I actually enjoyed these chapters. Interesting. Yes. Okay. And with that out of the way, Jane, <laughs> tell us. What happened in these chapters? I was supposed to do the chapter summaries this week, wasn't I? And now here's Jane, definitely from today, definitely right now in this recording session, with our chapter summaries. Take it away, Jane. I sure hope I didn't take up smoking in the intervening time. I hope not. Take it away, Jane. Chapter one. My rescue operation goes very wrong. We open on Percy, Talia, and Annabeth in Sally Jackson's car, being driven to Snowy, Maine. They're being dropped off to visit Grover, who has contacted them because he's located two powerful half-bloods at a military school in the area of Westover. Apparently, the monsters have also found them, and time is running short. When they enter the main hall, they encounter two teachers, Miss Gottschalk and Dr. Thorne, who try to throw them out for trespassing. Talia manipulates the mist to make them believe that the trio are actually students, before Grover comes into the hall to greet them. They head to the gymnasium, where a school dance is happening, and spot the demigods, Nico and Bianca D'Angelo. Nico is smaller and furtively playing with a set of trading cards, while Bianca looks out for him. Before the gang can move in and grab them, they notice that Dr. Thorne is back, seemingly unfooled by the mistrick Tally attempted, possibly due to being a monster. While staring him down, the D'Angelo twins move to a set of bleachers, and, and the gang pair off, attempting to blend in and dance while moving closer to the twins. Percy and Annabeth talk while dancing, mainly about how Annabeth is angry with her dad for wanting to move her out to San Francisco. She mentions that it's a bad place for demigods to live, but doesn't elaborate, nor does she elaborate on the troubles she is having at boarding school with Talia. This is because she notices that the D'Angelos have vanished. She and Percy run to get Talia, but get separated in the crowd. 
When this happens, Percy glimpses Dr. Thorne steering the twins out of the hall. With no time to get back up, he runs after them before being ambushed and poisoned by Dr. Thorne. He marches Percy and the twins outside, away from the other demigods. Chapter 2. The Vice Principal Gets a Missile Launcher While on the move, Percy attempts to use his empathy link with Grover to call for help, but can't tell if it's working. The monster and his three captors arrive at a set of cliffs overlooking the sea, and Dr. Thorne warns Percy that even if he tries to jump for the water, he'll kill him before he hits the surface. He then takes out a mobile phone and calls someone, telling them that they're ready for pickup. Percy accuses Dr. Thorne of working for Luke, but Thorne seems distasteful at the suggestion, and tells Percy that the General will explain everything to him, and that the great stirring is underway. More and worse monsters are waking up, and they're gunning directly for Mount Olympus. Before Thorne can say anything else, an invisible Annabeth bowls over the three demigods before Tali and Grover charge out of the nearby woodland and attack Thorne. Grover reveals that he can now use woodland magic to manipulate plants to fight for them, while Talia shows off her weapons, a vicious spear and a replica of her father's shield, Aegis. While they battle the monster, a helicopter seemingly filled with mortals approaches the cliffs, and Percy realises they must be who Thorne called. Thorne reveals his true form, a manticore, and manages to knock down the entire team, plus the D'Angelo twins. However, before he can move in for the kill, a pack of teenage girls with bows and arrows emerge from the forest, pelting the manticore. Before they can kill Thorn, he lunges at Tally and Percy, who are only saved by Annabeth jumping on the monster's back, right before another volley of arrows slams into him, knocking both of them off the cliff. One of the girls steps forward and blows up the helicopter with a wave of her hand, before introducing herself as Artemis, goddess of the hunt. Chapter 3. Bianca D'Angelo makes a choice. Artemis quickly assuages the gang's fears that Annabeth is dead, she seems to have vanished, and it's no use searching the area for her, but she at least hasn't died. We also meet Zoe Nightshade, a member of the Hunters who clearly has some sort of contentious relationship with Thalia. This flares up almost immediately as Artemis and Zoe attempt to dissuade Bianca from going with her brother to Camp Halfblood, and instead try to get her to join the Hunters. As the Hunters set up camp, Thalia blames Percy for Annabeth's disappearance, telling him that he shouldn't have tried to take on Thorn alone. Percy sits by the fire with Grover and Nico, while the former treats the poisoned wound Thorn gave him, and the latter explains his favourite card game, Mythomagic. Percy quickly grows irritated by Nico, and is then called to an audience with Artemis in her tent. Artemis explains that her order of hunters are immortal, and must swear off relationships with men. She then asks Percy to tell her what Dr. Thorn said to him, and when Percy mentions the great stirring, she becomes visibly worried. She then orders Zoe to take the rest of the Huntresses to stay at Camp Halfblood while she goes digging for answers, as it would be too dangerous to take them with her. Without missing a beat, Artemis then once again tries to convince Bianca to join the Hunters, a proposal that she agrees to, swearing to follow Artemis. While Percy is disappointed that he wasn't able to recruit Bianca, and somewhat distasteful of the fact that she's abandoned her brother, Artemis at least offers to give her campers and the Hunters a ride back to Camp Halfblood with her twin brother Apollo. Chapter 4. Talia Torches New England Percy meets up with Grover and Talia while they wait for dawn, which will herald the arrival of Apollo. He tells them about Bianca's decision, and Talia is just as annoyed as Percy, while Grover is sympathetic, since centaurs tend to crush on Artemis quite hard for being so in touch with nature. Apollo then arrives in a flash of golden sunlight, driving a sports car and being an annoying ass, much to his sister's chagrin. 
Despite this, Talia seems to be into him, and he quickly transforms his car into a bus that can accommodate the hunters and the campers. Artemis leaves Zoe in charge of the hunters and says her farewell before disappearing into the forest. Once on the bus, Apollo explains that his vehicle is more or less the sun, or at least a projection of what people believe to be the sun. He breezily offers to let Talia drive back to Camp Halfblood, and then, when she refuses, he breezily coerces Talia into doing it anyway. The bus, as it transpires, can fly, and as a result the trip is incredibly chaotic, as Talia freezes Cape Cod, sets fire to a small New England town, and finally crashes headlong into the lake at Camp Halfblood, boiling it and sending several naiads fleeing for their lives. Miraculously, no one seems to be hurt, and the gang disembark to go and see Chiron. Ha <laughs> ha weren't those some summaries? Those are such good summaries. I, when you described the beautiful emotional scenes, I clapped and I cried and I laughed and I cheered. Thank you. Frankly, I think I did a better job uh, writing them than Mr. Ryden himself did. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit. <laughs> a lo- let's get into these chapters. You seem to have a more negative opinion of them than I did, so I want to hear your thoughts first. I think I'm possibly just going into this, like, jaded because of Sea of Monsters. Right. Sea of Monsters wasn't a great look, but mm-hmm. it was decent, at least. Yeah, I suppose. I get my... The reason I said, like, I fear for the premise of our podcast is that, like, we started out with Lightning Thief, which was, like... That was like a really solid kids book and it was really interesting and it did cool stuff with its characters. Right. And then Sea of Monsters were kind of just an okay kids book. Yeah. And the vibe I'm getting from the first four chapters of Titan's Curse is that it will also be an okay kids book. Uh, what Like what stands out to you that says that to you? I think the biggest thing is um, after Annabeth disappears, I feel like there's no real sense of weight to that. Like the, the scenes that follow from that Annabeth could be, like, off in the loo, and they would play out pretty much exactly the same. I kind of get what you mean. Compared to, like... I know it's not quite the same, because it's... They, they don't think Annabeth has died for very long, but compared to, like, the kind of grief and loss we got about Percy's mother in book one, even after he found out that she was still alive, the, you know, the impact of that was much better there than it is here. I, I understand what you're saying, and I completely mm-hmm. feel it. I have some opinions on like how Annabeth goes out in these chapters. Mm-hmm. I say go out, but I don't think she died. I uh, don't. That would be a very unceremonious way to kill off the character. Yeah, but I kind of disagree with you because like it's a very different. I mean, I know you said this yourself. It's not the same situation, but it mm-hmm. is a very different situation insofar as like Percy and Grover and our them all are a bit more experienced now and they kind of are used to people getting disappeared and also like Percy does he does like have that immediate reaction of like wanting to like find her I suppose that's true yeah but he's like tempered by like all the stuff going on around him with the Artemis hunters and such and it just it feels weird that he like sits down and has like a normal conversation with Nico where it's just like the joke is Nico is irritating. Yeah. While Annabeth is missing and it's like not really acknowledged. Like it could even have just been Percy normally would have been able to deal with a kid like this, but he's so on edge because Annabeth is missing that it's like pissing him off. 
I feel like we kind of did get that, though. Like, it wasn't said so directly, but it is established that Percy is, like, on edge in these chapters. Hmm. And to that extent, I think that, like, maybe it's not... I, I think maybe Percy would have responded differently to Nico. I mean, maybe not, because Nico is just kind of, like, the annoying little kid. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not sure. I, I, I see what you're saying, though. It does... It could have been more weighty. I... Uh, it, I guess I feel like a better better comparison for it might be to Grover because I feel, and I'm not sure because it's, wait, I should ask, have you read this book before? Yes. I, I think I think I've actually read more of these books than I remember because the title Talia Sets Fire to New England or whatever it is, like that, that set off some dormant neurons. Right, okay. Do you remember how many you might have read or is, are you still kind of going and like going by the seat of your pants? I actually think that I might have read all the way to book five. I have, like, memories of a specific conversation that Percy has with the gods at the end of that, and I don't think it could take place in any context other than, like, the end of the series. Okay, yeah. You don't think it got into the Heroes of Olympus, though, right? No, I definitely did not. Awesome, okay. In that case, like, I think a more direct comparison is probably the stuff of the Grover in last book. I suppose that's true. Even that is treated kind of differently because it's very unsettling to Percy. Like, he's having all these terrible nightmares. I guess this is just mm-hmm. a situation we haven't quite seen before. Where, I don't know. I, I get what you mean, though. Uh, I, I wonder if Annabeth is going to be the damsel in distress of this book. I am terrified of that. I don't want it to be the case. I'm wondering if I'll be okay with it. Like, maybe it'll work out. But also, if every single book is like one of Percy's friends gets captured and he has to go find them, that wouldn't be great. Yeah. Also, and that is the formula so far. His mom gets captured, Grover gets captured, now Annabeth gets captured. I would like it if that wasn't the whole thing this time. And to be fair to Sea of Monsters, the whole thing was kind of a ruse on like Cronus's part. which kind and, of... I guess, and I guess also, to be fair to Lightning Thief, they didn't know it was a hostage situation until like two-thirds of the way through the book. Very true, very true. So, I don't know. I in, in that sense, I am feeling a bit better about it than you are, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I'm interested in how Annabeth goes out. Like, because Artemis and her hunters appear, and they're about to take out the manticore, it seems like. Yeah. And Annabeth jumps on the manticore's back. Like, she's like, I want to get it first. What do you think of that part? It, no way, it's it's not that um, Annabeth like wants to get the kill on the monster, it's that it, like, it goes for Talia and Percy, she stops it, and then it gets shot. Right, okay. I, I think that's, I was interpreting it as like, they weren't really in danger because of, like, the hunters, but I, I could have, I, yeah, you're right, you're right here, I think. Three, two, one... So there you go. Yeah. Three, two, one. Cool. Cool. What were we talking about before that horrible disaster? Okay, so we just had some technical issues, uh, but I believe we were discussing... Right, I think we were talking about the Hunters of Artemis and their introduction. Yes, yes we were. What do you think of them? Uh, I think they're cool in theory. I agree. <laughs> As I'm actually, I'm, I'm interested to see like how they develop across the series. Because obviously, right. like 
the way they're set up now, there's a lot of really unfortunate implication, which I think is just like, it's unavoidable for a kid's book from like mid to late 2000s. That was always going to be there. Uh, clarify, please. Artemis is a turf. I don't think that's true. <laughs> no, I don't mean like she is written to be that way. I just mean that like, as as it is in the text, that is like where she's at. It's, I disagree. I she's D- go on, go on. I'm not like saying this as a dunk or like a, haha. Look at how dumb this book is. What I'm saying is that like I'm curious to see if as the series gets more like queer representation, like the way that we've heard of that it does. Do they change the way that the hunters operate to like make it come come off a bit less turfy? I don't think it does. <laughs> I, okay, you, you explain now. You, you're going to explain. Okay, I think that, like, the, the thing is that it's less like we need to establish a safe space for females or whatever, <laughs> which is how you're reading it. I, and I think it's more of a... Artemis is like a codenamed Kids Next Door character. She's, she's like yeah, a 12-year-old. Yeah, that makes sense, huh? Yeah. Yeah, she, she's like no boys allowed with uh, the S as a Z. And, like, she has, like... I don't know. I think the, the, the Hunters of Artemis are really interesting because they're really cool as, like, mm-hmm. they're, you know, badass archers and hunters or whatever. They, like, hunt down the mar- the monsters that revive from the underworld. I yeah. think that's cool. I, I also think they're, like, them existing is, like, interesting as an alternative to Camp Half-Blood is interesting yeah uh, i always like seeing like new good guy factions where the relationship is like go fuck yourself like that's just totally, interesting yeah. and it fleshes out the world a bit more and we get that not just from like the the hunters and the camps sort of implied mutual disdain but also very directly Thalia and zoe's dynamic yeah so let's talk about the hunters i guess because in chapter three like the chapter after we really get to know bianca basically after she says her first line, she joins with the hunters. Bianca is just a dick, I guess. She ditched her brother for immortality without even, like, pretending to deliberate. And that's why it's interesting to me. Okay. Yeah, because, like, the way that it's presented to her is explicitly, like, you are, you will have a family here. You will have, like, people and, like, a support, like, a community, a support network. And it seems like right now, what we've seen of Bianca is her looking around worriedly in the gym while the while the dance is going on. And while that was happening, Nico was like shuffling some playing cards, some trading cards. And mm-hmm. that was like a pretty quick and dirty but good characterization of her as like a like a the older sister who's always looking out for him, basically. Yeah. And then in the next chapter we get her like i think her first spoken line is asking percy like how can we fight this guy yeah i think that's it's near enough yeah uh and like i think to that effect we're getting like this characterization of her but we also learn that her and nico don't have any parents mm-hmm. that they are like basically being moved from school to school and sort of just like wandering around aimlessly like all they have is each other and Nico doesn't seem like much of a support, really. Mm-hmm. So I think being offered that chance that, like, you're going to have a family here, it makes a lot of sense that she jumps on it so immediately. But 
I do like it's totally true that like she did just kind of abandon Nico like in a way. The thing, the thing. I guess I read it less sympathetically than that because, like, yeah, the way the conversation is laid out, it seems like the thing that seals the deal for her is immortality. She's she's wavering between Camp Half Blood and the Hunters, and Percy like talks about all the cool shit at Camp Half Blood, and then Artemis says, "Hey, you're you can be immortal." Oh, sorry, Zoe says that, and that that's why to me it came off as way more of a dick move. But like to be clear, that can be interesting and i i do want to see if anything is done with that i think the part that really gets her is the because they talk about immortality but then after that they talk about like the hunters of artemis are like open to everyone demigods mortals nymphs and then they also talk about that's when i think that's when artemis says like you'll be free of your responsibility. You can still see your brother and you'll have a new family. So I think that's kind of the part where she really gets hooked. Maybe this is just like reflecting badly on me. I don't think that's true. Because the immortality would have been the thing that sealed the deal for me. I mean, okay, this is another really interesting point. (laughs) Because I think that in most series, this would be presented as like a really sinister thing. Mm -hmm. She's like forsaking the trappings of mortality she's kind of like swearing off living a life outside of the hunters that's true yeah and it's interesting because that's not really presented as like a trap it's it's a huge choice for her like a 13 year old to make for sure Mm -hmm. um and such a and she seems like kind of desperate to take it in a lot of ways but also artemis explicitly says like when you want to leave like when you want to break the oath you can you can just leave and you'll become mortal again. Hmm. Yeah, it's, I guess, I'm not going to invoke the name, but certain other fantasy young adult series from around this time period just kind of take the stance that death is good and then examine the premise no further than that. Death is good because it's normal. Yeah, immortality is evil because you're a Christianity. Yeah. There's probably some interesting stuff to say here about, like, the religiosity of the text, too. But uh, anyway... There's there's a lot of really interesting stuff in these chapters. I, you know what? I'm going to scroll through my notes and I'm going to try and find something positive to say. Cool. Because I feel like I've been quite down on these chapters, but I didn't like entirely dislike them. I I really like the um, the kind of feeling of uh, almost jealousy that Percy has about Talia and Annabeth spending so much time together. I think that's... Oh, like, totally. That's a relatable like small kid thing of, oh no, I'm losing my friend because they're spending some time with this other person. Yeah, and we even got the setup for that in Sea of Monsters. Yeah. With uh, like Annabeth talking about all the time she spent with Thalia and Luke and Percy getting jealous, so it's a pretty good continuation of that. Yeah, for sure. Percy is changing. Mm-hmm. Percy's going through a change. He's at a special time in his life. <sighs> and I, no, okay, you you know you know what I'm gonna say, but yeah, Percy is. Uh, how do I make this sound like not super like stereotypical? Uh, he's like noticing girls exist now. Yeah, I get what you mean. More so than he ever did, and like his, and what I specifically mean is that he's noticing details about the girl characters in different ways than he ever has before. Okay, that's not something I picked up on. Yeah, yeah, like, um, because, like, the narration specifically points out, like, a lot of details that I don't think Percy would normally notice up to this point. Like, he's talking about, like, the way Thalia, like, 
like a lot of little details about Thalia and like and a lot of details about Annabeth and like how they like hold themselves and their clothes and like he talks about these like just random pack of girls at the dance I don't know if I can say like Percy noticing what girls are doing is like a new is like a like a thing that I'm picking up on but it seems to be kind of a uh kind of an like a new little thing in his narration brain I mean if it's jumping out at you then I would imagine there's definitely something to it I have to imagine it's intentional like oh because one of the things is like Annabeth is taller than him now you know what that that's also a detail I appreciated Percy's not a coward Percy is not a coward. I think there is a girl I want to talk about in these chapters, mm-hmm. and that's that's Thalia. What do you think of of uh, Thalia in these chapters? I am a little confused by her characterization. Uh, elaborate. The thread that's kind of being set up is that Thalia is like the she's the cool, experienced one, who's kind of the natural leader of the team because uh, she knows the most about fighting monsters. Mm. And that just, like, that doesn't ring true to me, because that should be Annabeth. Okay, I see what you mean. Because, like, they had the same experience of getting to Camp Half-Blood, and then Thalia was stuck in a tree, while Annabeth went on two other quests. So totally. of, of, like, all the Half-Bloods on the team, Annabeth is the, first, is the most experienced by, like, a wide margin. So I'm, like, I'm confused about why she's not the one who is being, like, treated as the leader character. I think this is another Percy thing. Mm-hmm. Insofar as like, okay, you know how Percy like got to camp and immediately became really good at sword fighting? Yes. He has like these powerful sea god powers. Mm-hmm. I think the thi- part of it, part of it is that Thalia is being set up as like Percy's foil. Yeah, for sure. And so to that extent, I think it makes sense that she is like better than him. Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not questioning at all that like Thalia should probably be more competent than Percy. No, but I specifically mean like we I've also seen that like I don't know how much we've actually seen Annabeth in combat, you know what I mean? I remember she definitely fucked some people up in Lightning Thief. She definitely did, but she usually goes more like puts on the invisible hat, knocks some people out while they're like not looking at her. I think that's usually more her bag. That's true. I think Thalia is totally more of like a frontline person. Yeah, I suppose that is kind of what we see during her fight with um, Dr. Thorne. Yeah, but I also think that it's important that Thalia is set up this way so that Percy has someone to, like, be kind of, like, jealous of, I guess? Or someone to, like, look up at and be, like... I don't want to say, like, it's important that Percy feels lesser than. But I think for, like, the arc that his story is going in, that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if it doesn't quite mesh with, like, what we know of the lore as of yet, I think it's interesting that we get this character who is a lot like Percy, but she's stronger. Chiron will teach her more things. That's another thing, is that Chiron is, like, seems to be willing to teach her more than he is Percy. She's another, mm-hmm. prof- like, candidate for the prophecy. She also has, like, like a better shield than he does, like, he has a bad shield, and she has, like, a really cool shield. Wait, is Percy's shield bad? It gets destroyed immediately. It gets, like, one dent in it. it. I mean, Percy is like, it gets a few dents in it from the thorns, and then he's like, this will not take another hit. Mm-hmm. I think them both, like, pulling out their shields at different points, and being, and, like, having, having that sort of, like, 
her shield is terrifying. You would run away in fear. You would piss your pants if you saw it. That's and him, yeah. like his immediately being dented means something. At least it wasn't like his sword gets chopped in half or something. That would have been a little heavy handed. <laughs> that reminds me of a point that I forgot to bring up uh, oh, in the last episode, <laughs> where uh-huh. a specific detail pointed out while Percy and Luke were dueling is that uh, Luke's sword was much longer than Percy's. <laughs> uh so that's fun uh it's impossible to escape the the the, the metaphor it, yeah i'm surprised that we've gotten this far without bringing it up to be honest i i think more what this makes this make, makes me more curious about like Thalia as a character rather than like me, making me think that she's sort of got like i don't know that she's being over placed i mean i see what you're saying insofar as like it does feel kind of diminishing to annabeth mm-hmm but I think this might be one of those books where it's like, we get a rotate. What? Here's my guess. I think with Percy Jackson, we're gonna get a rotating cast. Every book, we get like three core characters, three uh-huh. or four. I don't think Annabeth is gonna get to be one of those this book. I think she got the last two books. I think I'm just bitter because she got so little play in Sea of Monsters. <laughs> I I totally agree. I, I like the Annabeth stuff we do get, though, here. Like, her architecture mm-hmm. uh, class. Like, talking to Percy about that. Yeah. She's been playing City Skylines in IT. Yes. Yes. She also says something really interesting about, like... Oh, she tells Percy that she's going to be moving away. Mm-hmm. Although, the impact of that is slightly diminished by the fact that Percy remarks that he hasn't seen her anyway while she's lived in the same area. Mm, true. True. I guess it's the difference between like seeing someone like every six months and never seeing someone again. That's also true. It's now like now looking back at the conversation, it's really obvious that Annabeth is not going to be around because she like gets cut yeah. off by of saying something very important, like a very like I have to tell you this very soon. Immediately gets cut off. Of course, it's not going to be resolved like in the next five chapters or anything. Yeah, that tracks. Specifically, she says something about like. San Francisco is like a bad place to live for like demigods. See, I just assumed that was because it was like in the same general area as Hades, but apparently that I guess that's not it. I kind of assume that too, but I also don't think that's it. I think it's more. There's more to that than that. Yeah, I think it'd be a mystery. Yeah, Percy would have twigged that if that was the answer. Yeah, Annabeth wants to design a 9/11 monument. Uh, yeah, she sure does. The Annabeth is like, she has stars in her eyes and she's talking to Percy and she's like, she's like, tells him all about the the ground zero, like memorial monument she wants to bring to like be the architect of it's, this is a post 9-11 series for sure. Yeah, it's, I guess this is the first time it's come up explicitly. It's always but, been a very post yeah. 11 series, either way. So, I don't know if, like, the World War II thing could ever happen again. Uh-huh. Like, that was that was clearly a bad idea, and, like, by book two, he was already retconning it. Yes. Is he going to tie a godly conflict into 9-11? No. <laughs> Almost I... certainly not, but, like, I feel like the thought must have crossed his mind at least once. I... Probably. <laughs> but I, I I think there is a sub-zero chance of that happening. I really hope it doesn't, to be clear. 
we're talking about that and it's like this is already a very like everything about this is very like the terrorists are coming like this whole series yeah that's that's kind of been a big undercurrent and so nico is a call out post for small me nico is a call out post for like every small child very specifically he is a small irritating child who plays a game that is like combination Yu-Gi-Oh and Warhammer. I was just gonna say he's <laughs> playing like combination Yu-Gi-Oh and D&D is what I was thinking because the cards have like 3000 attack points is what the Manticore has and that's Yu-Gi-Oh shit for sure. Yeah. But but it says attack points and then saving throws. It also says Which saving I... throws. Is our saving throws a Warhammer thing? They are also a thing in Warhammer. Okay, I didn't know that. So maybe it is like a combination. That's oh, are movement points a thing in Warhammer? Yeah. Oh my I wonder if one of Rick's kids like played Warhammer or something. You know what? That would actually make a lot of sense. That's really fun, actually. I like that. <laughs> I I wanna talk about the myth mytho magic, like I don't know, like the meta of it I, for a second. Okay. Because... I how have you gleaned enough to figure out what the meta is? The Manticores say to have 3,000 attack points. Mm-hmm. It's said that Zeus's lightning bolts do 600 damage. Mm-hmm. Now, why why is Zeus... Why is Zeus, like, a fifth of as powerful as the Manticore? <laughs> that is a really good question. I guess maybe, like, the lightning bolt is an addition to Zeus's base attack, because, like, in this, in this universe, Zeus's lightning bolt is a separate weapon. Right. I think it's either that or like he can do a lot of them every turn. Mm-hmm. That would make sense too. Or maybe he maybe he's like low attack power, but he makes up for it in his abilities. Maybe his extra movement points make up for it. Oh or my god! Maybe Zeus is low tier. Well, I, I we could find out. How so? Uh, because this game exists. What? Let me just uh. There you go. Wait, does the game actually exist? It might be oh just God, like a fan exists. thing. Because there's wait, there is mythomagic.org. Yeah. Yes, this is a this is a, a a fan thing for sure. But I've also I am also learning that Mythomagic Incorporated is the production company that uh founded by Rick and Becky Riordan for like for the Percy Jackson and Olympians TV series on Disney Plus. Huh. Uh as well as the Kane Chronicles films on Netflix. Wait, they're doing those at the same time? I guess so. That's very strange. I guess maybe we should buy a pack of Mythomagic cards. Well, hang on, they've got a shop page, how much are they? Let's see. Maybe we should make it like a Patreon goal, depending on how like horrifically expensive these are. True, there's an Olympian deck, an Ocean Deity deck, a Heroes deck, and a Minor Gods deck. Oh, it's $8 for a pack. That's not bad. Yeah, so once we hit $100 a month on Patreon. <laughs> Let's try the updates to make sure that this like exists in the world. Oh, there are no updates. That's good. I'm sure that this was just like a fun project that someone did for like two months and then stopped updating the website or making cards. I'm sure. Uh, Zoe's a weird-ass character. Uh-huh. She's like, Percy sees her and, and he's like, wow, she's like some kind of Persian princess. Yeah, that's and, a little weird. But also she seems like really old. I mean, Christ only knows how old she is. Yeah. Because, like, she keeps saying thy and thou. So I would imagine that she's, like, at least a couple hundred years old. Yeah, that makes sense. 
that's that's what like the really interesting part is that she's like talks so weirdly and mm-hmm. I do really like her dynamic with Thalia because it's really obvious that like they tried to recruit Thalia and she was like, no, I want to go with my friends to camp. Yeah, there's like, there's implied history that I'm I'm interested to get into. Same. I really want to see more of it. Mm-hmm. Nico is like a different kind of hidden magical world kid but protagonist. He's not like super immediately traumatized and is like freaking out all the time. He's not like a Percy or a, I don't know. <laughs> He's not even, like, a Harry. He's actually, like, really interested in the world that he's being brought into. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. He, we're getting he's new like, types of characters for kids to relate to. The the closest comparison I can think of off the top of my head is, like, Luz from the Owl House. Okay. Where she is just, like, she is pogging that she is allowed to explore Magic World. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a lot of notes. I don't, I feel like we've covered a lot of stuff already, though. Yeah, I feel like we've gotten, like, <laughs> repeatedly sidetracked into bullshit. Yeah, uh, I, I like these chapters a lot, though. I, I There are problems, obviously, but, like, I think it's interesting that Annabeth gets, like, arguably, like, hubris into being kidnapped. I think, like, this had the best opening fight scene so far. Better than Mrs. Dodds, better than the Lystragonians. Uh... Okay, what's your what's your objection? Oh no, this is just like, it's it's the same problem I had with the action in like Sea of Monsters. Right, just like, there's just not a lot of weight to it, I feel like. Uh, yeah, like it's, I... It's, I'll get, it's well described and I know where everyone is, which is like, that's the that's the basis of like, a decent action scene. But I, I don't uh, know. I guess the, Mr. Thorne doesn't feel as like an immediate a threat, even though he is like, obviously like, I'm a very scary manticore. Actually, wait, this is, this is a gripe I had that I thought about. Yeah. Which is, um, why isn't Rick, like, recycling monsters? What do you mean? I, f- I feel like we're getting to the point where we're maybe starting to hit the bottom of the barrel in terms of uh, recognizable Greek monsters. No. Manticores, <laughs> come on. I don't know, I didn't recognize what it was just from the description. Well, you're not, uh, you're, you're gay. <laughs> Correct, but Sorry. unrelated. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But I, I, even if that's not the case, I feel like the advantage you have with uh, enemies that can like bring themselves back to life is that you can use that to like build a relationship with the characters. I feel like you know it'd be interesting if like not necessarily for this scene, but I guess in a broader sense, like what if Percy had to fight like the Minotaur again? I want that to happen. I think it's yeah. way too early. Hmm. I, I just... I mean, because we get that with, like, Mrs. Dodds in book one. Percy kills her, and she has a vendetta against him for the rest of the book. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, know, I feel account, like that's, that's like, an opportunity that's being left on the table. I definitely want more of that. I mean, that could still happen. We haven't read the rest of this book. That's true. I don't know. I, I like that we're still getting... I think it's fun that we're still getting new monsters. I don't know. I wonder if I just need to, like, adjust my expectations. Maybe. I don't know. I think you're being harsher on this book deserves. <laughs> I think I'm also like I think I may be like trying to analyze it from maybe a different way than how Rick is writing it. Which how is so? more a case of like trying to create just like a fun, episodic, mostly standalone adventure. Mm. Whereas a lot of my complaints are about like it not really being completely consistent with or following through on ideas from previous books. But that that could also be like 
an issue with just like we're reading these one after the other we're not waiting a year between them in which case it would be like less of an issue that's very true and i i'm I'm still on the other side of it where i do think this is a pretty good follow-up and like it mm-hmm. does cont- i think it does continue most of those important threat threads but yeah i guess that's that's what part of the fun of podcasting yeah you didn't even mention apollo apollo drives the battle bus apollo <laughs> yes he does <laughs> uh, oh my god i i am running out of sword space first of all uh i have 40 oh, no. guys left um and second of all i like i every time we see like a moment of like the gods are just people i like it i think it's fun yeah i, I especially like it's very humanizing for artemis who's been like very wise and been like oh you must sway your oath to me and all that kind of stuff for about a chapter and then her brother shows up and he's just like a weird dickhead yes and it's very, very clear good. that they just have like quite a contentious relationship absolutely i like that a lot i like apollo he's he's exactly what i thought he would be last but last book yeah he i don't know he just he has like he has like douchebag energy but in like a really fun way he's doing haiku <laughs> god he has or... like mall ninja energy mall ninja as in like a guy who goes to a mall and buys like a really expensive sword tries to hit something with it and it breaks immediately oh yes extremely I think this chapter does a lot of good for Thalia's character. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. We've we've gotten like we've gotten so far, like in the first three chapters, we're like badass Thalia. We got like we also got like really brash and like harsh and mean Thalia. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of rough edges. She is uh not she's not one to mince words. She's not always like the most polite, I guess. Yeah, you know, I will I will say this for Rick's description of her. Uh, when I was trying to think of like how to sum up her, her personality, the first word that came to mind was stormy. Stormy, yes, she is so stormy. So um, good job on that one. Good job on that one, Rick. And and I think this chapter, like where she has to, she's very flustered by Apollo, and like mm-hmm. also we get Percy remarking on like how she sometimes stills a tree, and also her just being like a bad driver because she's like twelve. Like, it all rounds her out a bit. It makes her more than just, like, her sharp edges. I was really hoping that that was maybe um, building up to, like, Thalia's afraid of heights. I could still, I could see that be, still being true. Yeah, it, I mean, we don't get it in this chapter. I just think that would be, like, that would be both funny and interesting for a child of Zeus to have. It'd be something for her and Percy to bond over. Yeah, I'm actually, this, uh, fuck, this is me, again, complaining about, like, but what about this thing from the previous books? How come Percy's allowed to fly now? Maybe it's maybe Zeus doesn't want to kill Thalia. Also, uh, he probably doesn't want to send a lightning bolt at the sun. That's true. I think those are my two I feel main like I've, I feel like I've been very mean to these chapters, perhaps unjustifiably. I don't think you've been mean. I think you're I think you you have been I think you have been put through the ringer by the Sea of Monsters. <laughs> and to to me these were a refreshing kind of a uh, a cool drink of water to you. They were kind of uh, bracing. You you took a cool drink of water. I got waterboarded. <laughs> uh, should we should we wrap it up? Uh, yeah. Cool. Thank you everyone for listening. If you would like to contact oh, wait, us, you wait, can... wait, we what? forgot. Oh, we need to do a segment. segment. Okay. Because we uh, said we, we we like you started doing it last week and then immediately forgot. <laughs> I don't even. Yeah. 
uh every percy jackson character is gay that's what our uh, every percy jackson character is not cishet it's true uh my pick my pick for this week is nico d'angelo mine was also again he, nico. He, he just like i feel like there's this thing where like if you're a kid who plays like Yu-Gi-Oh and warhammer there are two possible paths for you to follow yes uh, and one is that you become a chud, and the other is that you are trans. Yeah, and I feel I like think... I feel like Nico's going down the second path. Uh, the way he like fawns over Percy so much, mm-hmm. like he fawns the other over trans over... character. He fawn yes, he fawns <laughs> over everything, but like especially Percy is like the one we're pointing out to the most, like because Percy's our POV character, obviously. But yeah, uh, I I don't know. Maybe maybe that's maybe it means something. Scratches my chin. <laughs> Okay, this is this is again me digging for like possible spoiler stuff. Does Bianca come back? I mean, she's she's still there. No, but I feel like, I don't know. I feel like the way it's being set up right now is like this is how you write her out of the story for a while. I don't know if that's I don't know that, if I would call it writing out because she hasn't been a character. She's barely a character. I mean, like she's can you write out someone who just showed up? I guess so, but yeah. I mean, yeah, but it seems like a weird it's like like you would say like oh they wrote out grover or something but i don't know it seems like a i don't know they like, did kind of write grover out in book two they did kind of <laughs> uh i don't like i don't like she's still there she's still like adventuring with them and stuff it's less writing out it feels like she is going to go away for a while and that might um, be why i just like viewed the thing with her ditching Nico so unfavorably because I, I thought it was going to be like, okay, she's going to ride off with like the Greek wild hunt into the distance for a while. As we as we all want to do. That's true. I guess I have to get, give an alternate nomination. Mine is going to be... I'll give mine to Annabeth. Annabeth... I'll give mine to Thalia, actually. Let's let's give Thalia okay. one because she hasn't she hasn't had she hasn't had the the room to. She's she's first appearing. We're we're giving it to the new characters this time. Thalia spends a lot of time with Annabeth, uh, lesbian behavior or bisexual Correct. behavior, and she is very like she's very punk, which also bisexual behavior. Uh, like all uh, queer kids, she reached age 12 and then stopped interacting with everyone around her and just kind of withdrew into herself. In That's her case, right. slightly That's more right. literally because she turned into a tree, but still. Uh, Thalia is trans. <laughs> uh, Thalia is very trans, but okay. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. If you, you. want to contact us, hit us up at unwisegirlspod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at unwisegirls where we have a link to our official Discord server. Join it. We have fun? I guess so. Yeah. If you like us, you can support us by downloading our episodes, leaving ratings and reviews for the algorithms, and checking out our Patreon. For a dollar a month, you get a special role on our Discord, making you as a camp counselor. For $3, you get a special role as a friend of Dionysus and access to all of our bonus content. This week, we talked about the end of Homestuck Act 2. We talked about... uh, how cringe Jane was as a 12 year old. <laughs> Christ, yeah. And we talked about. We talked about DC. We talked about DC a lot, too. And how, like, you know, the best part of that is when Batman's adoptive son gets blown up and then comes back later. That's exactly right. For $5 a month, if you're feeling especially generous, you get the specialist role of Aphrodite's Chosen, all the bonus content, like we said previous, and a shout out at the end of our episodes. 
Speaking of which, this week we would like to thank uh, Mercy, Veronica Friend, and Erica, who keeps forgetting to edit her name on Patreon. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye! Bye.